Amen. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> you need to stay up here. Um, where's Lead Team, Kim, Jessica, is Mark around, Dave, Jim, can you come up? Um, so uh, Daniel has been, he said, been a part of the church for a couple of years now, but he's been interning with their church. Uh, we're being told that you need to come this way for the camera purposes. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. Um, he's been doing an internship here at the church for the internship is coming to a close on October 3rd. So we're, we go to the conference this week and then we get back and he's going to wrap up things. And uh, the beautiful thing, we've done a lot of praying over people recently who are leaving and we get them up here and pray, and it's like, bye. And Daniel is not leaving, which is the great thing. He's just finished, yeah, that deserves some praise. He's just finishing up his internship, so we wanted to take a little bit of time um, and just pray over him as he wraps up, because uh, he's invested a lot into this last year, um, and it, you don't want to just let it kind of end. So we want to take some time with our team and just thank Daniel and pray over him, and then to invite you... Uh, I think today's a good day for it. Come up to Daniel and just let him know what you've seen or admired in him, how he's impacted you in the year that he's been here on staff, um, what you see in him that you'd like to aspire toward. Um, and I think that'd be a huge encouragement to him. So let me, uh, I realized I didn't have you bring the mic over. Uh, we'll have a couple of people pray and then I'll say a few words. So. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Daniel. Ah. Uh, his heart is so in love with you. He is so eager to follow you and learn more about you. And Lord, that just oozes out of his pores. And I thank you for the example that he sets in this church, for the way he loves people. He loves your people. I thank you that he has been such a blessing this last year. Um, I, I've loved to watch him just dig deeper into his knowledge of you, dig deeper into this church and, and your church. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for him, and I ask that you continue to walk with, cause him to continue to thirst after you. Help him to just always seek. Lord, I ask that you would also just make his next steps very clear and obvious to him as he makes choices about what his life looks like once he's done here. But again, I thank you for everything that he is and does and will be to this church. And Lord, I too thank you for Daniel and just uh, all the many ways that he's just blessed uh, this church in so, in so many ways. And uh, Lord, ever since he stepped foot in this place, it just um, there's just like a glow around him. You just know that uh, your anointing is on him. And uh, Lord, so thank you for this season of uh, just having a time to just... Uh, uh, for Daniel to be able to go deeper into that. And Lord, I look forward to what you have in store for his future in so many uh, ways that uh, will bring so many blessings to the church and to the kingdom. Lord, I too want to just thank you for this opportunity that um, Daniel has had and that we have had to um, get to know Daniel better, to benefit from the ways that has influenced us from uh, his participation in things, his his wisdom that he adds to uh, the leadership team um, as he's participated there. And Lord, I just thank you for what this, the space this has given him to um, learn more about um, ministry and about 
him and himself and about you, what you might have for him in the future. And Lord, I just, as he moves forward into his next season, that you would um, guide him. And Lord, we just, we wait with expectation to see what you have for him next, Lord. Man, Father, this is, a, this is a man after your own heart. Um, I have been blessed uh, personally by hanging out with Daniel um, just over the last, man, six months. And it's been a, it's been a joy. Uh, he has uh, wormed his way into my heart. And uh, I have been uh, excited to see the way that you are working in him. You have made him such an intense young man and I just want to pray that that as he develops the giftedness that you have placed within him and that as he expresses that in the different opportunities for ministry in in people's lives and in the life of of uh, this community father that you will empower him by your spirit Fill him, to, uh, that you will shore him up, hem him in, whatever the right words are, that you will, uh, uh, that you will uh, give, him, uh, uh, give him all of the, oh gosh, healing and uh, strengthening and maturing and uh, that, that you desire to see happen uh, in, in his life. Uh, it's a new season, and we changed seasons yesterday uh, in the world, and it's a new season for Daniel, and uh, there is <clears throat> much on the horizon for him, and we pray that you will pour out your love and blessing over him as he pursues your heart. Thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, with, with Daniel, the goal coming on was, but um, part of it was for Daniel to get to explore ministry and all its facets. Part of it was to have time and space to discern his future. Part of it was to learn theologically and spiritually. And so we're just talking about this the other day. Like we're looking at the initial description and it was like, Daniel to like get to taste all of ministry and I was trying to list the things that he's done over the last year from like there's everything from opening and closing and cleaning to painting rooms to running prayer rooms to helping plan funerals to uh, preaching to leading prayer things to uh, representing the church in the city to uh, conference treat days and 
it, we just, it goes on. The, the reading is done, the writing is done, the reflecting is done. You have, uh, you've done a lot and you have finished well. Um, so thank you. I, I mean, I think anyone that knows you, words that come to mind are things like uh, diligent, faithful, uh, a man of honor, a man of integrity. And uh, Jim said in 10, it's passion or power um, that you walk in. And I said this to Daniel, I said it to a leadership team, but um, in our Bible read-through, Daniel and I, we got to Second uh, Corinthians, and there's this verse where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, I can't be there. He's like, I'm going to send tithes to you. And when he comes, like him being there is just as good as me being there. Because he understands the things of God and he understands what we're trying to do. And so I'm sending him and his presence will be the encouragement that you need. And that's really what Daniel's been uh, for the last year. So it's going to be hard not having him here uh, full time doing the, the things alongside me that, that I want to have him doing. But we just bless you to do what it is that's coming. So thank you. Um, one thing before I release you to have a quick conversation. Um, we're experimenting. My favorite word, right? Yeah. Um, I, I realize in these things that I'm kind of a, a closet sociologist. I just love watching how people engage and interact. There is a little statistic in church growth that when you, ha- and it's not just in church growth, it, it's in lots of scenarios actually, but we talk about it in church growth. When you have a room like this and the chairs become 80% full, People walking in the door feel like there isn't space for them here. Uh, and so we've been in the nice uh, problem space that, uh, that our church has been growing, and we've had 80% of the seats full. And what tends to happen during the service is I watch people walk in the door. There's like no place I can sit down because no one wants to sit right next to someone. You know that problem, right? If there's... If there's one person and two spaces and a chair, we see it the best at the airport. No one wants to sit in one of those two chairs because you have to be right next to each other. We need a one-chair buffer between us. Don't know why we do it. Um, part of sociology. Um, and so we've been noticing that's been happening. People have been struggling, trying to figure out where to sit when they come in. People that are familiar with the church and comfortable with everybody. You come in, you sit down, you don't care who you sit down next to, you love everybody. But it's the new people coming in and, and the guests that are visiting that have a harder time knowing where is it okay to sit and who's it okay to sit with. So we're going to be experimenting between now and the end of the year with some different things in here to try and work out what's the best, most conducive way to set up what we're doing here to fuel and foster the mission of God in our church. Um, and so if, if you're in here today going, this is uncomfortable for me, the place I normally sit isn't there, someone's sitting in my spot, here's my, my request to you is give me lots of grace, because believe it or not, this stuff gives me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> no one wants to be the one that's making people upset. No one wants to disrupt someone else's routine. So I'm like, oh my goodness, people are going to be so upset with me tomorrow. So give me lots of grace in this. And then here's what I want you to be thinking about, is not thinking about you and not thinking about in here, but think about the people out there 
that may come in at some point between now and the end of the year that may feel more comfortable because we've been willing to adapt a little bit. So I just asked for a little bit of grace. I wanted to acknowledge it. Thank you. Uh, I, I watched some people, my sociology brain, I watched people come in the room going, where'd I sit? My spot's gone. Um, but I have also watched some people sit with people that would normally sit on their own. So that's also exciting. So um, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Here's what I want to do to start with. Um, I want you to turn to some people next to you. And here's the question that you're going to answer. Very, very simple. What makes a worship song good? And if you're new to church and you don't know, you can just listen to what some of the other people are saying. But what makes a worship song good? This is interesting because I think this might have provoked more discussion than our zombie apocalypse question last week. Um, it's, it's really clear no one in the room has an opinion. <laughs> let, let, let me do this, let, just, just for fun. Um, shout out some of the things that you heard in your group. Focus on God. Focus on God. Relevance. Singability. Too repetitive. That that makes that makes a worship song good. It's okay. Questions: What makes a worship song good? So not repetitive. Okay. Scripture. 
time to connect with the words? What? Commonality. Okay, let me ask you this question. In your groups, how many people use biblical argument for what makes a worship song good? <laughs> so far, I've not heard anything other than scripture as a generic one. No one is listing something that actually comes from the Word of God, right? So here we go. We're starting a new series this morning that we're calling Let Worship Arise. And here's why. And that's a good illustration of why we're going to do this sermon series. I want to spend some time between now and the end of the year looking at what is worship? Why do we do it? How should we do worship? And I think if we're honest, we will realize that for most of us, our understanding of worship is actually defined more by our history, our culture, our denomination, than it is by what the Word of God teaches us worship should be about. Um, we're we're going to look at two elements of this. We're going to look at worship in its broad sense, and a significant part of this series looking at specifically what happens when we gather to worship on a Sunday morning. And what are some of the rules and practices and skills that we can learn to make us a more effective worshiping community? Because what happens is we tend to learn worship by osmosis. So we get in a room with people who are worshiping and we just kind of pick up how to do it from the people around us. And for most of us, I personally have never gone to a church where they have taught me how to worship. It happens on Sunday, but they've never systematically said, here's how you do it. Here's what you do when the band's playing an instrumental. Here's what to do when you don't connect with the song that's happening. Uh, here's the way you should interact with this part of the music. No one teaches us. We just have to pick it up. And then what ends up happening is you have people from different traditions, different cultures, different church backgrounds, people that have never been in church before coming into the room together and they're learning from a mixed bag in the room. And I don't know if they're actually learning what God wants worship to look like. Um, and so I want to take time to look at this. Worship, we know this, worship is of church services. Do you know in the churches that I've been in, and this is no exception, worship is the area that gets the most criticism, complaint, and grumbling. I want to say a huge thank you to Dave. And to Reuben, because in the time that I've been here, I've gotten to hear them have to handle a lot of grumblings about worship in the times that they have been around. And Dave, you were here before me, and there was a lot more before I got here too, right? Um, but, but here's the interesting thing. This is, this is not to give people a stern talking down or whatever. But, but this, is, this is what happens in reality when we come into a room like this. On the same Sunday, we'll have to come back to the sound booth and say, it's too loud, can you turn it down? While someone else comes over and says, hey, it's too quiet, could you turn it up? We have people come to us and say, um, we want more hymns on the same Sunday that we have someone come up and say, there's this new song coming out, can we sing it? We have people say, um, we sang that song, the words just don't connect with me, they're so old-fashioned and I don't speak like that to God. On the same Sunday that people come up in the song and it's all gushing about how you love Jesus and that just doesn't connect with me. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm like, what are some of the other things that I was like, that I've heard? Um, yeah, the words are too self-focused. We've got things like, um, it's too repetitive. That one comes up a lot. The song's too fast. The song's too slow. Um, we've had people say, there are too many people on the stage. It looks like a rock concert. And we've had people say, there's not enough people on the stage. One person looks like a pop concert. <laughs> um, and so, so we, we end up in this issue. It's too quiet. It's too loud. It's too old. It's too new. Um, it's too repetitive. It's too archaic. Who's the worship for? Because in a lot of that, what it sounds like is we're saying, this doesn't work for me. And we have to stop and go, yes, there's things that we need to do to make sure everyone in the room can worship. But the worship is not for us. It's for someone else. And we have to learn as a church how to engage when the song's too slow and we want it fast when it's too new and we want it old, when it's too repetitive, when it just doesn't connect with where I'm at today. And so we're hoping that we can walk through some real good overarching principles and then some real simple practical skills that will train us as a church in how we worship God together. That sound all right? Yeah. Right. At least three people want to go here. So <laughs> here's the trouble. I've, we've just, um, so, uh, okay. Part one, we're going to start here. Principle number one this morning, we were made to worship. We are made to worship. You know this from your own experience. You go to the beach, you see the sunset, and in that moment of beauty, something in you is stirred. You climb to the top of a mountain, and you look out over the landscape, And something inside you stirs. I feel it every time I drive the back roads down toward Newburgh through the wine country. And something about getting out of the city or out of the suburbs and into these open spaces. My heart is just like, ah. We find it in the art that we look at, the songs that we sing, the poetry that we write or we engage. Um. There's something in love and there's something in beauty that causes us to worship. It's the reason so many songs are written, so many art pieces are produced, why buildings are constructed. The Taj Mahal in India, one of the wonders of the world, a building that was produced out of adoration, his, his spouse. Like love and beauty causes us to want to pour out and worship to the things around us. We are made to worship. Um, uh, God, re- speaking to people through Isaiah, um, he's talking about the people of Israel, the people that they created. In Isaiah 43, 21, he says, I provide water in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, to give a drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they might praise me. Created to worship him. Scripture tells us that we were created with eternity in our hearts. As we go through life and we experience the temporal nature of the world, something in us cries out for a greater, bigger, more eternal, more infinite belonging. We were made to worship, and we are always worshiping something. We are always worshiping. Every moment of your life, whether you realize it or not, you are engaged in worship. The question is, at each moment of your life, 
what is it that you are worshiping? Because if we're not worshiping him, we're worshiping something else. Let me put it a, a little bit of a different way. Uh, you are never not worshiping. Double negatives sometimes are fun. You are never not worshiping. When you're driving in your car and you're mulling over something someone said to you that you've taken offense to, you are worshiping your grudge against that person. And anxieties about how people are going to respond to the chairs being moved in the room. In that moment, I am worshiping fear of man. Uh, I had the real privilege yesterday of taking you into his first soccer match. Went with some people to the Timbers game yesterday. Uh, nice little picture here for you. This wasn't yesterday. This is just a generic Timbers match. But it's hard. Well, let, let me just sidestep. I went to the Timbers game with you, and it was so fun. We took, uh, there are a few people from the church, but half his soccer team went. And for most of them, they've never been to a, a pro soccer game before. All they've done is their own little games. And watching those kids get so excited about watching the game was just really fun. So side note, that was really fun. Um, but you can't go to a game like this when you're thinking about a sermon on worship and not do the parallels. There was a lot of worship happening last night at that game. Uh, some of it from me. Um, but I want you to think about some things as you think about the worship that happened last night. I sat there looking at the, the Timbers gear that people were wearing. And the amount of money on gear for the Timbers. Like, my wife got me a really nice, authentic Timbers jersey for my birthday. And I know what those cost. And I'm, look, I'm thinking about that, and I'm looking around the room thinking, man, how many jerseys are you here? And how many scarves? I bought Yuna's first scarf at a game. Most expensive scarf I'll probably ever buy. <laughs> I, thought, I thought about the amount of money that goes into this soccer experience. I thought about the worship event that happens. Not every soccer team has this in this country. We have it back at home. But Portland has what's called the Timbers Army. What are the Timbers Army? They're a group of people and musicians who are stationed in the stadium to make music happen unto the Timbers from the beginning of the game to the end. They are drumming. People are writing songs. They're memorizing songs, singing together, mobilizing the stadium to be in a euphoric chant to people on on the pitch in order to motivate them to be successful in what they're trying to do. Um, I found myself thinking about all of the moments where something happened and, and annoyingly the person in front would stand up out of eager anticipation that the goal is going to be scored so that Ewan would miss it, right? But, but just the, the physical animation, it's like the moment where the goal, the, the goal goes in and the entire state is like, yeah, this is a good picture of this, right? They're standing in the stadium, hands raised to heaven in euphoria because a little plastic ball filled with air was kicked into a net. <laughs> Worship. I thought about the amount of time that is invested in this. Um, from the time that it took planet to getting down there, leaving early because we wanted to make sure we got in. Uh, as we're leaving and we're walking across the streets, Wherever there's not a, 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 a turn signal, 
um, and it's just like stop signs or uh, unmarked like four-way crossings and, and you're watching the crowd cross the street and all the cars are completely helpless. They have to sit there and wait for 20,000 people to cross the road in front of them. They're just sitting there. Um, the, the time that, that goes into us trying to get there, to get out of there, to prepare for it, to, to watch the game, to follow the stats... And that's just the supporters not thinking about the time that goes into coaching players and the players playing and designing merchandise and building stadiums. The amount of time and effort that goes into this is insane. I think about the amount of money professional athletes are paid. There's not a picture of our worship of a person. What, what is it? Um, the, the, the Bible is filled with these images of people coming and generously lavishing offerings on the temple to provide for God and his people. And yet that's what we do all month long, all year long, as we lavish our offerings on these players for the work that they do. I found myself thinking about, um, we had a win last night, 3-2, go Timbers. Um, and, and when you're taking kids for the first time, you want them to win. And I thought about how excited we all were at the end of the game. And I found myself going, oh, how bummed the kids would have been if, we, if they'd lost. We know we're worshiping when our mood is affected by the thing that's happening in front of us. A win brings us joy, a loss takes us to the pits of despair. I know, I see people when they watch the Super Bowl final and their team loses, they're in tears. They're so invested in this. It is worship. We are built to worship. We are worshiping all the time. We are never not worshiping. And if our worship is not directed toward Jesus, then the only place it can be directed to is the created world around about us. Paul to the Roman church, he said, like they're seen in the world around us. He tells us that we're made to worship God, but people exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they started to worship and serve the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. This is our fallen condition, is that we worship the created thing rather than the creator. We were made to worship. And we delight in finding every possible outlet of worship, many times not even realizing that's what we're doing. The side note again, I'm not saying so you must never watch a Timbers game. You must go support the Timbers. No. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying like we, we can't do any sports, we can't enjoy concerts, we're not saying at all, but we've just got to be aware of what's going on inside. It's okay to appreciate beauty. It's okay to have fun in life. As a church, we care about play and joy and, 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 and blessing God through creativity. It's good to enjoy those things, but are we aware when we've moved from enjoyment into worship? Did you know it is even possible to worship a genre of Christian music. Some of us love hymns so much, we worship hymns more than we worship the one that the hymns are about. Some of us love repetitive choruses way too much, that we love that moment of repetition and be able to switch off and encounter the presence of Jesus so much so that we worship those kinds of events rather than the one that the Christian music, we'll, we'll get into this at some point, Christian music is a genre of music um, that has been marketed and, and distorted in some ways, 
that needs our refining just like all the other pieces of the world. So we are made to worship. We are always worshiping. You're never, you never stop worshiping. And your worship is always finding an outlet. We're not just made to worship, but we're given a unique calling in the world. We touched on this last week, actually. Not just made to worship, but we have been made priests in the kingdom of God. What is a priest? They're the people that were in charge of explaining and navigating the worship of God and teaching that to the nation. Think about the priests in the Old Testament. They were the ones that when, uh, when God is establishing the priests, the priests are the one that would go into the location that God had determined and they would set up this tent of meeting so that God's people could come and worship. They were the people, the priests were the ones that would carry the Ark of the Covenant that was the presence of God. And they were the ones that on their shoulders would carry that where God wanted to go. So if it was into battle, the priests would carry his presence into the battle. If it was setting up the tabernacle, the priests are the ones carrying it into the tabernacle so worship could happen. The priests were the ones that were teaching people. What was required to worship God? If you want to worship God as unholy people, here are the rituals and the sacrifices that you have to offer. The priests were the ones that represented the people to God. They stood in the presence of God as worshiping people, representing humanity as worshiping individuals in the presence of God because only one person was allowed in the presence of God and that was the high priest. So he would go in representing us in his worship. The priests were the ones, just like the timbers army, who were established in the temple to sing and pray night and day for the glory of God. They were there ministering to him. They were the ones receiving the offerings and stewarding it for the work of the temple. They were the people who the world that are, are, helped the nation, God's people, discern what's the world and what's God. They were the ones that were making the distinctions between what was holy and what was common. They were the people that were called to pronounce blessings, to speak destiny over people, to to call the power of God to move in their lives. That's the job of priests. You could use the word ritual experts. The job of the priests, they were trained from a young age to understand all of the ritual around the temple. And they were required to be experts in it so that they could help the nation around them learn what it is to be worshipping people. So we end up with this challenge. What's happened is we've gone away from being a worshipping people to being a people who gather around a church service. And then we go out into the world and rather than teaching the world around us how to redirect the worship they're giving to the created order back onto the creator we end up trying to bring them in and fit them into the structure of the church service that we've created. We, many of us, we've not truly learned what worship is and how to do it. So as priests in the kingdom of God sent out into the world as ritual experts to teach them how to worship properly, we don't actually know what we're teaching people to do. We struggle to worship ourselves, and so we struggle to teach them how to do it. We, we, we know things that we like, and we know principles that are important. Yes, if a worship song is not 
in alignment with the word of God, we probably shouldn't be doing it. But if it is, then it's probably a good thing. Um, so we need to know those things in order to help educate the people around us on what it means to be worshiping the priests in the kingdom of God. First Peter chapter 2 uh, says this. This is Peter explaining our role as the church. He says to the church, and this is a scattered church at that time, as you come to Jesus, the living stone who was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Skipping a verse or two. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What for? So that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Skipping a few verses. Dear friends, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and worship God on the day he visits us. The passage is clear. We have been chosen by God to come into a relationship, relationship that is rooted in worship. Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God, have existed before creation as a worshiping community. The Father worshiping the Son and the Spirit. The Son worshiping the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit worshiping the Father and the Son. No prejudice, no bias, no hurt, no pain, no sin pure love and delight and worship of one another. And then out of that overflow, God creates all of creation and creates us not to worship him. He didn't need it. He exists as a community that is worshiping each other. He doesn't need our worship. He created us to participate in that worship community, to experience that depth of worship and to be swept up into the middle of it. We are chosen as his people, to be swept up into the middle of this. We're chosen to be a holy nation, a special possession, a royal priesthood. So we're chosen. We're chosen to offer spiritual sacrifices. This is the language of worship. It's, it's called back to the priests in the Old Testament as they navigated the worship. If you sinned, you had to offer this type of sacrifice. If you uh, were at odds with someone else, you sacrificed this, this type of offering. If you wanted to dedicate everything to the Lord, you gave the, the kidney and the lungs and all the fat parts. And uh, when you were bringing in the harvest, acknowledge God, you kind of wave it over the top of it all. And, and all of these uh, key um, principles that were required in order for us to worship. That's what we've been asked to do. Like them, we've been asked to understand what the sacrifices that we're called to offer today, not physical animal sacrifices, but the sacrifice of a life laid down, the sacrifice of dying to ourselves, the sacrifice of taking the time to learn his ways and his principles in order to be able to help other people enter into this worship experience. You're the chosen people, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, that you may declare the praises of him. So we're chosen. Uh, we're chosen to offer these spiritual sacrifices, and we're chosen to be people who lead the way in declaring the praise of God because he's rescued us from darkness to light. Our job as we walk into the world, I say this 
every week, our job as we walk into the world is to look different from the people out there who are trapped in darkness, who don't know that there's light, there's a different way, who don't know that there's a king seated on the throne who's been victorious. Our job is to live there when it looks dark around us and when things are horrible and difficult, we sacrifice praise to him by stepping out of the pain and the discomfort and reminding ourselves who he is and declaring the goodness of who he is. We've been chosen as a spiritual priesthood, as a holy priesthood. That makes everyone in the room a worship leader in the kingdom of God. It's not Dave, it's not Reuben. Um, it, it, we are all worship leaders in the kingdom of God. And the last part of what Peter's letting us know is, is there's a reason you're called to, to learn how to worship and to be a worship leader because you are supposed to go out into the world and that is going to fuel the way that you live so that you live in such a way that the people round about you are then swept up into their own expression of worship. You're a worship leader in the kingdom of God so that you can lead the people of the world into the correct expression of worship, that they would glorify God on the day that he visits. If we're made for worship and we're priests who steward worship, we should be of worship. Not experts of our worship preferences, not experts of the era that we've been raised in and the way that culture taught us worship. Not experts of what it looks like to worship in America. But experts of what the Bible describes worship as being. Experts of what God expects of us. We should be able to evaluate what happens on a Sunday through the right lens. It's not preference or culture. But what ultimately glorifies God the most. We have been largely content. Let me pause. My conviction is that with most of our spirituality, we just don't, and this is not, we just don't put enough time into thinking about it. We just kind of do things and we react to life. And most of us would say, and, and have said the words, I wish I had more time to study this. I wish I had more time to learn how to hear from God better. I wish I had more time to be a better evangelist. We, we, our desire is that we'd be better at these things. At the end of the day, most of the time, we just don't give enough time or thought to the way that we're living and the practices that we're engaged in. We just inherit them and we go with them. If we are not thoughtful enough about what the Bible teaches us about worship, then we are... Um, abdicating our role as priest and we're outsourcing our education to the culture and the tradition around us. If we're not thinking about it and we're not learning about it, we're just absorbing what's there and then we practice it whether it honors God or not. I said your worship leader teaching the people around you how to worship. I don't know if you think about this on a Sunday um, worship can often be a very individualistic experience, like I'm singing the songs and I'm expressing something to God, which is good. But do you think about the fact people walking in the doors, especially people who are new to faith or new to church, they walk in the doors and they are watching you to learn what worship should look like. So your decision of how to interact with the worship event on a Sunday is educating someone else on the posture they should take, the attitude they should have, 
participation level, those things matter. So, like, when I say you're worship leaders, sitting in a seat, how you engage God during worship teaches people in the room what they're supposed to be doing. And, and I think about this sometimes, and I'm like, oh, jeepers. I was sitting there the other day, like, I realized something that I hadn't done work-wise as worship's gone. I was like, oh, better put the reminder on my phone. I'm like, I, if someone's watching me right now, they're going to learn that it's okay to disconnect from worship and do work instead. Those moments are all right. God's not going to strike me down because of it. It's good. Um, it's good to, to remember this. I've got this, this uh, quote up here to let our denominations and our culture define worship for us. If we're really honest, it's not often the Bible that defines what we dictate as good and bad worship. And if it's not true that we're largely content to let the denominations and the culture dictate this, then what's happening instead is we know what the Bible is teaching and we're just not doing it. So either we don't know what it's saying or we're not doing what it's saying. Uh, and so the conclusion is the same. We have to train ourselves in what it means to worship. We have to train to worship differently. We have to train. Like I remember a very convicting talk that I heard. I was probably 18 years old about a guy that went into this really old dead church in the Highlands in Scotland. And he had a stinking attitude the whole way through the service. Because he just didn't like anything that was going on. Um, and this is, this is not just um, a modern worship songs or a hymn thing. There's a whole different uh, can of worms not going to open right now about what's going on with the church in Scotland. But he said, I, was, I just had such a bad attitude. And he's like, in the middle of worship, me or you? Is this about your enjoyment or is this about worshiping me? Because you should be able to worship me with joy and wholehearted abandon in any situation. Whether all the instruments are out of tune, uh, whether it's a song you know or don't, whether, you eat, whether it's in a different language or not, you should be able to worship me. So we have to train. What do you do when you're in a room and they're singing a song in a different language? You don't know. What do we do? What do we do if there's a big instrumental in the middle of the song? Do you just stand and listen or is there something we can do? What do you do? Um, when someone's on the stage leading worship somewhere and they just start kind of ad-libbing some lines and you're like, I don't really know what to do right now. What do we do? We have to train. We have to train to evaluate what makes a worship song good and bad. We have to train to evaluate whether um, worship should be songs or not. We have to train ourselves to the walk, walk in the way of Jesus. And this is, I mean, looking at worship, training us as worshipers, is what we're trying to do every week. Um, every sermon we're looking at, we're asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a true worshiper of his? Um, so for the next few weeks or, or toward the end of the year, this is what we're going to be focusing on. What's it look like to correct some of the faulty thinking? What's it look like to affirm some of the frustrations that you have with the way you experience worship and affirm that you're right and we've got to make some changes to make it aligned with what would bring God greatest glory and what, what we can do um, to, that fuels us so that we can go out into the world as worship leaders in the world pointing people to glory in God. So we're chosen by God 
to offer spiritual sacrifices for the purpose of worshiping him and leading others to do likewise. Big picture worship. We're created for worship. You're a priest in the kingdom of God. You're a worship leader in this church and in the world. So what is your attitude toward worship, your actions in worship, teaching the people around you about what it means to worship? So I'm going to let us have a a little discussion here again because you seem to be like this more and more. Here's the question. What would change in your daily life So your normal rhythm during the week, what would change in your daily life if you truly believed that you're a priest of God? What would change? Maybe nothing. But group up with some people next to you, answer that question, and then we'll finish with some dick.